This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. It's Kelly and Ramia. We're here with you. Let's see, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, live on AMI-tv, 4 to 6 p.m., and a couple of repeats throughout the days and nights on AMI-audio. But all in all, we're also available on demand via your favorite podcast platform. So just search for Kelly and Ramia over there, and you'll find the full show as well as segmented out pieces of the show. And that's a daily upload, so you can find us there at all times. Two hours. Wow. Mm-hmm. Feels long today. The show feels long. Really, does it? Sarcasm yeah. seeps getting through. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to just simply We're say, grand what are you total talking about? You just got here. 20 minutes or whatever you've been here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> for the grand total of 20 minutes, going to go from uh, a wonderful food topic to a lot of great information and some reflection here, Rum, I'm sure, with our next topic on our parts too, but we get to learn a lot as we welcome in Laura Bain. And uh, Laura joins us to talk about accessibility and so much more from the East Coast. Today, Laura, welcome back. We're talking about something that I think most of us go right back in, in the disabled world and think, oh my goodness, especially those of us in the in the blind and low vision world, as we talk about education for the blind and partially sighted use in Nova Scotia and some recent changes of services that are being delivered. Um, you grew up in Nova Scotia, Laura. What kind of services did you receive? Yeah, you know, that's absolutely right. And I'll say first, just before we get going, that um, I had sent you Nova Scotia in my notes, but we're actually talking about all of Atlantic Canada here. So mm. all four Atlantic provinces are impacted by these changes. So uh, the services I received are the same that students in all of those provinces would have received. So there are sort of two types of services that I received growing up, which is that I had an itinerant teacher who came to see me in my home community and at school. For me, that happened once a week. I understand that that's rare now for students to get that frequency, but uh, we would do all kinds of things from learning orientation and mobility to technology training and They would help make sure that things were accessible in the classroom for me. But I would also have short-term placements at a place called APSI, which stands for Atlantic Provinces Special Education Authority. And we just really referred to it as the School for the Blind because it was sort of the evolution of the old Halifax School for the Blind. So once a year... I would go in for a week or two and I'd have more intensive training in things like orientation and mobility or independent living or as I got older, things like career or post-secondary. And that's sort of been the status quo in the Atlantic provinces up until fairly recently. And what happened? Like, how did things change and when? Yeah, so unsurprisingly, it changed with COVID. So Mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, these short-term placements shut down. And that seemed reasonable to people because there's a residential component. Students go and they stay overnight in the residence building. But then Mm -hmm. families started becoming concerned when the placements didn't start up again by the 2022-2023 school year. And During that time, there'd been a move to more virtual services and any social gatherings were done more on a regional level. So just sort of 
you know, it would be just central to Halifax or whatever communities you had nearby. And then in November of 2022, APSI confirmed to parents and students that it was their intention. And my understanding wow. is that there's been another change to how they do psychosocial or psychoeducational assessments of blind and partially sighted students. So this was being done before by professionals at APSI who were specifically trained in working with those students, but now it's being more done by mainstream professionals. And the concern with that is that those professionals often aren't trained in how to properly assess blind and partially sighted students. So this can lead to not really understanding a student's potential and capability. I think we can sort of imagine what might happen there. And also parents are finding that they're being refused services because professionals are saying, hey, I don't really know how to assess your kid that has this disability. So that's that's another issue. Yeah, we, we were talking about this a week or two on the show ago because of how services being denied because, well, we're short of staff. We're, so why don't you just stay home as if that was the solution instead of figuring it out? When you talk about people not having the life experience dealing with the students and what they see and just simply allegedly being trained, we know what that gets us and how many mm -hmm. times we hear, well, yeah, they're trained on how to deal with that. or And you say, for what, five minutes of, of, of something? Um, it, it's the lack of recognition of the importance of these things or trying to push things onto a parent. Well, can't a parent teach you how to work in the kitchen and or do this and that? And, and I find that just amazing. What is the reasons that they've give, be given you guys what, what's out there for these changes? What are parents being told? So the reasons have been a bit vague. One reason that APSI cited was inequitable access to the short-term placements, but this was confusing for parents and students because our experience was that APSI always provided transportation to and from their home community, and there wasn't any cost for that, and there also wasn't any out-of-pocket costs at all for coming and staying during the short-term placements. You know, there was food right. and accommodations provided, so that explanation just didn't make a lot of sense. Now, APSI conducted a review of their services in 2022. So presumably that was whatever the results were that came out of that were part of this decision. But that's been quite contentious because they sent out a survey to parents, but the participation rate was less than 2%. And many wow. families are saying that they never received the survey, so they weren't able to give their feedback. Hmm. And that's a ridiculously no num low number. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Don't buy it. Don't buy it. How has the community been responding to this? These changes, Laura? So from what I've heard, not great. Now, to be fair, I'm involved on the advocacy side of things. So that's probably more who mm. I've been hearing from. But families met with APSI to express their concern back in May of 22. And they sent an open letter to the APSI board. That was in December, and that had 80 signatures on it, including my own. That was from parents, students, former APSI staff. So that's a pretty good number. Now, I first became aware of the issue when I attended a Zoom call in November that had been organized, organized for APSI stakeholders to kind of get together and chat about how we might advocate for this issue. And I don't want to guess at how many people were on that call, but there were a lot and from a lot of different generations. And... The advocacy efforts really haven't been that successful. So then this past August, a couple of community members actually met with the Nova Scotia Minister of Education and Early Childhood Development to further express their concerns. I, I, I stop because I think of how many 
uses we've used the W. Ross McDonald School in Brantford. You know, when they have things go on, it was always picked as a place because of reasons like, hey, you have the dormitories there. You have this, you have that. That lessens what was perceived to be cost. So you think, okay, so you do your cost mm -hmm. analysis, you do everything at, at that meeting couple of years ago, well, I guess a little over a year ago, and and what findings come out to say, hey, let's not do it. You think of four provinces being involved, everybody out there that needs this, and I understand some people are further out, maybe not as in touch as, as those in the Halifax area or, or just certain parents that are probably very much on this, Laura. The meeting that you attended earlier this week, what was said there about the future of the service delivery? Can you share any of that with us? For sure. So I attended a virtual session that was hosted by APSI this week, and it was presenting kind of their new service delivery model. I thought I'd have a lot more to report to you about that than I did, because I found that it was sort of lean on specific information. And I was one of only two or three participants in the session that I attended. Um, because I attended over Zoom, I was also sent a link to their online guide. And again, I read through that and I found that it was pretty lean on information. My impression was that there's a bit of a move towards supporting more universal design within the classroom rather than individualized services. There was no mention of short-term placements, but again, it was all sort of very vague language. They did talk about these regional in-person gatherings and virtual learning, but those are both activities that parents have raised concerns with. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because in theory, you would think, and again, I always find it interesting to think about this Toronto versus this location, Vancouver versus, you know, Winnipeg or something, because I always think it's size and what people can do. In theory, you would say, yeah, it would be nice if someone could stay in their neighborhood and learn all the things that we're talking about. But to do that, you'd have to have that qualified person with experience at almost every school and be and and resources like that, Laura. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to challenge that a little bit, I guess, on two fronts in that there's been concern expressed by parents in regional, in rural areas, areas rather, oh, sure. that, um, you know, if all this stuff is being done regionally, then their kids are never being exposed to doing O&M in a city environment. And we know that so oh. many of us are successful because we move into city environments right. to work mm -hmm. or to attend school. So they're maybe just not getting that kind of taking transit or encountering traffic lights and things like that. And the other thing is, you know, I formed lifelong friendships with other students from all four Atlantic provinces, not just in my, re my region. And these friendships, I still talk to these people on the phone. Sometimes I, I've gone to visit them in other provinces. My partner went a few months ago to visit a friend in New Brunswick that I made at APSI. So those relationships are very important. And actually, I was reflecting on this advocacy effort, and it just wouldn't have taken place without that blind network. Certainly, I didn't learn about it through APSI. I learned about it through all of the friends and role models that I had made as a student at APSI. So I worry about the future of that network and that community. Yeah, there's so much trickle effect to what the changes and the implications around that. Do you have a biggest concern? Well, you know, before this segment, I went on and I read the more than 20 testimonials from various stakeholders that are available in a briefing note at blindstudents.ca. I would 
you know, suggest that people go and read that. I was really overwhelmed. I've mentioned some of the concerns that parents had. I'm not going to be able to bring them all forward. But for me, I would say just the biggest concern is the future of the blind community here in Atlantic Canada. And if people are not forming those networks and they're not learning those independent living skills that we know are so incredibly vital. Mm. You know, it's it's frustrating, Laura, because I hear you say some of those things that for you are important. They are, they are so true in the when it comes to the relationships, the people to learn a lot from and, and to take from. And hey, how do you do this and have those conversations? So many of those important things that would go under the radar to, to other people because people in their own neighborhoods or whatever in they learn they learn what they do and may not necessarily feel that that would have been or any any benefit to them. It's a totally different sphere. But it's so crazy because so many times people sit back and say, you know what, I don't want to be treated differently than others. And a lot of time it works against us because of the reality that, hey, man, any leg up that you can get, whether it's advisement for someone else who walks in similar shoes or, or anything you can learn or make it easier because life has there's so many things you got to deal with all at once outside mm -hmm. of the normal day to day that make things hard, challenging, and can amp up the issues of, of failure. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, that's so true. And universal design is fa is fantastic. I'm a big advocate for universal design, but we know that it can't address these specific needs that we have to learn blind skills, you know, and... Yeah, I, I know we're getting tight on time. I had so, I, so many things I wanted to ask you about uh, kind of your thoughts, but any kind of thoughts that either of you wanted to share on sort of this whole question we've been having about how to educate, how best to educate blind students? Mm. Well, I do believe in the, um, and this is going to sound like a fence-sitting thing, but it really is, and I do believe in the integration and the kind of, uh, success and benefits of having integrated educational opportunities. I've had that approach in my own life predominantly but I do also in I find so much success and very specific kinds of advocacy confidence independent is brought forth through specialized education Laura so when uh, programs are cut and you, you know I've talked to people who have personal experience with this in different provinces so there's so much nuanced conversations around why it happens how people are individually affected um, some of the really like upsetting things you hear and stories from people around way I guess the attesting to when they're pulled out of programs, how that affects the rest of their lives in, uh, I guess, school or, you know, home life or work life, all kinds of things. But I go back to what I said earlier. It's it's a huge effect. Like, it's more than just the particular skills you're learning. It ends up affecting you in various stages of life and various connections, as you've been mentioning, with networking, et cetera. Absolutely. And your confidence and just your advocacy. Yeah levels what about you Kels any uh well, sort of it, thoughts a, there it's a, yeah it's a hard one too because I look back to before I went to W Ross after I went to W Ross what I've observed through colleges and just what got me ready and how many things we were missing or where people had to go specifically um to do some of the stuff and I heard all the voices screaming well someone shouldn't have to go to a W Ross or someone shouldn't have to have this experience but I also noticed how you become more settled. How stress through life, if you can find the ways to advocate for yourself, even if that's not something you do regularly, but you know how to speak up, you've been taught that, you've heard others say it from your community, it makes life, which is full of stressors already, it, it makes it so difficult if you are if you are not armed. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. 
Yeah, thanks. Are we, uh, we're out of time, are we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're going into the round table. You're both be <laughs> our round over. table guests. We'll have to kick Karen McGee aside. Thanks, okay, Laura. Thanks Appreciate for the it. great discussion, guys. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you. Uh, Laura Bain talking to us about education for low vision and blind individuals in the uh, Atlantic provinces and some recent changes, uh, changes that have affected the service delivery. And she'll be back next month. We appreciate these conversations with Laura Bain. Uh, after the break, we have the weekly roundtable. Kelly McDonald has picked out some topics for us. Maybe he was picking them out through that first hour, you know, like very productive of him. And he's going to put myself and Karen McGee to the test. It's not supposed to be a test. It's supposed to be very friendly on the roundtable. We'll be right back. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.